Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode this week about the book A World Without Email by Cal Newport. Keep listening to find out why we need to rethink our relationship with our inboxes. Welcome back. I'm your host, Steph Clark, and each week I share with you the three big ideas I've taken from the best non-fiction business books that I have been reading, and do the reading so you don't have to. This week it is the new book, A World Without Email, by Cal Newport. I'm a big fan of Cal's work. I really enjoyed his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. I talk about that one quite a lot, and it's an idea and ideas in that book that I come back to pretty frequently. I also quite enjoyed his book, Deep Work, again, one that I come back to quite often. I'm going to say it. I didn't enjoy this one. Now, I stay pretty true to the fact that this podcast is more about sharing the ideas and giving you the best bits of the books, whether I like them or not, rather than necessarily just a review. But sometimes I do like to share some of the things I liked and didn't like about a book. So if you're interested in what I didn't like about the book and some of the bits that I liked as well, keep listening because I'll be talking about that towards the end of this episode. In the meantime, though, I'm going to share a little bit more about the book, about the author, and of course, the three big ideas, because there were some good ideas in the book, even if the whole thing, or the book as a whole, wasn't a fantastic read. If you find the podcast useful, thank you very much. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And I would love to invite you to sign up and subscribe to the Bookmark newsletter, a fortnightly newsletter I put out with reviews. And I do actually share more review type content in those newsletters and some information on some of the books I've been reading or some best reads on certain topics. It depends from fortnight to fortnight the, the content I share, but it is all book related. And I know people are finding it really helpful in helping them choose what to read and sometimes what not to read. You can subscribe by hitting the link at the top of the show notes. There's a pretty easy little link in there. So whichever podcast player you're listening on, scroll up, give that a click, pop in your email address. No spam, I promise. And I will see you in the next edition. All right, let's get into this week's episode, though. A world without email. Let me tell you a little bit more about Cal Newport if you're not familiar with his work. Cal Newport is a computer science professor at Georgetown University. In addition to his academic research, he writes about the intersection of digital technology and culture. He's particularly interested in our struggle to deploy these tools in ways that support instead of subvert the things we care about in our personal and professional lives. He's also a New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including the most recent one, A World Without Email, which we're talking about today, Digital Minimalism and Deep Work. And he is also the creator of the Time Block Planner. His books have been published in over 35 languages and featured in many major publications, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, New Yorker, Washington Post and The Economist. He regularly writes articles on these topics for a variety of outlets. He also has a long running blog called Study Hacks. That was all taken from his website, calnewport.com. You can head over there for more information and lots more content and bonus bits and pieces and blog posts, etc. about some of those ideas, particularly around that idea of tech plus humanity. Before we get into the big ideas from the book, let's give you a little bit of an overview of what the book is about. Modern knowledge workers communicate constantly. The days are defined by a relentless barrage of incoming messages and back and forth digital conversations a state of constant anxious chatter in which nobody can disconnect, and so nobody has the cognitive bandwidth to perform substantive work. A thorough review of current evidence reveals that the hyperactive hive mind, you'll find out a little bit more about that in a moment, has become a productivity disaster, reducing profitability and perhaps even slowing overall economic growth. Equally worrisome, it makes us miserable. Humans are simply not wired for this constant digital communication. 
The knowledge sector's evolution beyond the hyperactive hive mind is inevitable. The question is not whether a world without email is coming, because it is, but whether you'll be ahead of this trend. If you're a CEO seeking a competitive edge, an entrepreneur convinced you your productivity could be higher, or an employee simply exhausted by your inbox, a world without email will convince you that the time has come for bold changes. And we'll walk you through exactly how to make that happen. Again, that was taken from calnewport.com. More information is on the website and I've popped a link to that in the show notes for you. All right, with all that, let's get into the three big ideas from the book, A World Without Email by Cal Newport. Big idea number one is the hyperactive hive mind. This is a term that Cal uses throughout the book as really the description of the way that most organizations work and are plugged into constantly. It's really the ongoing conversation, the structured and unstructured messages by email, but also through things like Slack or other channels that you might be using, Teams, etc. And the fact that they they just don't stop. It's just a tirade all day of, of these unstructured and unscheduled messages interrupting your ability to work. And I'm sure you're sitting there or walking or driving or sitting on the train or the tram or whatever you're doing, just thinking, yes, absolutely. This you are describing my life. This is this is how I work. Various studies have shown that the average worker, and brace yourself with this one, the average worker is checking their email every six minutes on average, which increases exhaustion and absolutely decreases efficiency. There's some really interesting stats in the book around the psychological impact of those unread messages. And we all know that person. Maybe that person is you, but we all know that person who's got a thousand unread emails on that, on that red little pop-up thing on their phone. It's pretty upsetting, isn't it, when you see that? I get quite distressed when I see that. Now, interestingly, like I said, there is a psychological impact of this, of having all these unread messages. It actually dates back to our prehistoric brain and the, the threat that that causes in our brain or the, the threat that that triggers in our brain is this neglected social obligation that we've got others depending on us and we have failed to do what they need us to do in a, in a timely manner. Now, I know that some people, when I've mentioned that to them since reading this book, they're like, no, it doesn't even bother me. I'm very happy to have a thousand unread messages. Doesn't doesn't even cross my mind as a problem. But for many people, that is the case, whether you know it or not, it might just be more slightly deeper stress that that's causing, even if on the surface, you don't think it is. In the book, Cal talks about the fact that we are spending more time communicating about tasks than actually doing them. And hands up who's had that probably even in the last 24 hours. There's a whole chapter, in fact, on how miserable then this makes us, which is inevitable because if we're just plugged in, talking about things rather than actually getting on and doing them, not feeling like we're ever actually winning or getting into the situation, which I know I've been in before, we spend all day just fighting fires and replying to emails. And then the hours between 5 p.m. and 10 p.m. or 5 p.m. and 9 a.m. the next morning, that's when your actual work actually gets done. And we often just work this way in this hyperactive hive mind, this constant battle of email after email, because it's it's easier, which sounds so backwards, doesn't it? But it's actually easier, regardless of the cost to our productivity, our quality of work, our happiness, and ultimately our health. Let's face it, it's it's not great, is it? So there is a large section of the book, probably the first half of the book, which is all about the problems with the current state, how the current state of hyperactive hive mind was created, the evolution of it, the move from the industrial revolution into more knowledge work, and how the evolution of then obviously technology and the internet created email, and how we've ended up in this bit of a mess that we're in. So that's big idea number one, the hyperactive hive mind. Big idea number two is attention capital. 
Cow argues that we are where industrial manufacturing was in 1900, just on the cusp and before those major shifts happened that changed everything, before production lines and before some of the, the revolutionary things that were put into place by places like Ford and other companies that changed the way that manufacturing was done. The, one of the quotes in the book is that most organizations remain stuck in the productivity quicksand of the hyperactive hive mind workflow, content to focus on tweaks meant to compensate for its worst excesses. So the idea here being that we're just making these tiny little tweaks. We're maybe introducing Slack rather than using email and we haven't actually changed the way that work is done. We are just replacing one problem with probably what becomes another problem. An attention capital is the fact that the, is the workflows and creating workflows that optimize human brain ability to add value to information, not just to chase the tails and send more emails and receive more emails and get better at doing email. He says that we need to get serious about how we work and really make the most of that attention capital. And we work best sequentially, not simultaneously. So we need to minimize the switching that happens when we're just flicking between emails, between tasks, etc. Because we all know, and you know as well as I do, that is not our best way of working. And sequentially, so doing one task after another is a better way of working than simultaneously and trying to do everything at once. In the book, Cal brings up a lot of Peter Drucker's work that talks about how knowledge workers need autonomy. And that's important and Cal's not disagreeing with that. But he's adding to that and saying that they also need their workflows managed. He splits it into two elements. Work execution, which requires more autonomy because that's where your, your skills and your knowledge come in. And then your workflow, which is where you need less autonomy because that is where that is really just structure and coordination of the work. He talks about the fact that most organizations and maybe the one that you work in is similar to this have reduced the headcount of their support staff and placed the responsibilities and those tasks back on their workers and their knowledge workers. Cal talks about how this has decreased specialization. So you've got these specialist knowledge workers in all different fields and industries having to then know how to best organize their, their logistics of their transport and organize all these other things and get things printed, etc., which detracts from their ability to do their best work. Talks about in the book, there's lots of case studies in the book of a couple of places who have reversed this and actually increased their headcount of support staff and people who are specialized in helping the companies run well and helping some of those other things happen. And they actually saw productivity and output increase in a way that offset the, the cost or the cash cost of employing these extra staff members. And that return on investment happened pretty quickly. It wasn't something that was a 10 year journey to actually pay off that investment. It was a very quick turnaround on that expense. So that was big idea number two, attention capital. Big idea number three is focus on the process. So this is coming back to the idea or part of the idea of big idea number two. We talked about work execution versus workflow and workflow needs to have less autonomy and more structure and coordination. So by focusing on the process, we need to rework the entire process and the IT system or the IT help desk logging system that generates the issues to solve one after the other would be an example of that. 
There's also lots of other examples, quite a few that follow more of a card system so or a Kanban system. So using tools such as Trello or Asana to monitor projects in a different way. And it means that you can just focus on one project at a time. So you would go into Trello or Asana, which is set up like notice boards and you'd have different columns, maybe for a different project or for different stages of a project, depending on how you've set it up. And you would go in and each card has got maybe the next phase of the project or each stage of the project or each task that needs doing and all the information related to that particular task or that particular project is stored in the Trello or the Asana board. What that means is that people can just work from there. They can work from there, all the comments and questions and attachments are attached to those particular boards, or those particular columns and it means that by avoiding then having to work out of your inbox all the time you're not being distracted by other project work or other messages or anything like that. There was a couple of examples in the book of people who have moved to that particular type of format or, or way of working in their organization. And they almost never use email now, certainly not internally. They still do use it with suppliers and clients and things like that. But all of the information for projects is stored in there. So internally, they can just go to there and things like updates don't need to be done as regularly because people can just go into the card or go into the board, see where things are, see where the comments are, and then get an overview and move away. They're not constantly emailing going can you give me an update on this can you give me an update on that because it's all available for the project leaders and for the project members to see there's also examples of depersonalizing email so for example emailing an inbox such as it help desk at company name or the client name at email address so using things like depersonalized email addresses to capture the problems, the information, the requests, whatever it is that needs to happen, and being able to then allocate those out to the right people and it having a little bit more structure to it because there is an expectation of how that then is managed rather than everyone then having to jump in and out of different projects all the time in their own inbox. It's really important to get then the system right and the communication right. Again, there's examples in the book of stand-up meetings, for example. So rather than e endless email updates, Companies just starting to do simple things like a stand-up meeting every couple of days, every other day, something along those lines for 10 to 15 minutes with the project team, working out what's happening, what are you working on today, what problems are you up against and what maybe what help do you need, bang, 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 bang. And that saves hours of emails back and forth getting those updates. So simple things like that, which maybe you have control over being able to do and to try just to cut down a level of noise in your inbox. And there's a whole idea as well of if you send less emails, you'll probably receive less emails. It doesn't always have to be public as well you, the way you do this. So for example, you don't have to put an autoresponder on and saying, I'm only gonna be checking my emails between 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. and then 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. or anything like that. Actually, they said that that was very big after the Tim Ferriss's four hour work week came out and everyone got very into those kind of ideas. But that actually starts to put people's backs up and they try and find other ways around that system by calling you or whatever, even though the thing might not actually be urgent because they're just trying to find ways or loopholes because of the, the barrier you've put up. Whereas if you just did that quietly, checked your email twice a day, stayed out of your inbox the rest of the time and had some really good blocks of deep work to do your work and then just set your email time accordingly, people wouldn't probably even notice. Yeah, there might be a couple of people who are used to you responding immediately who might take a little bit, might take them a little bit of getting used to, but it probably won't be as painful or as difficult as you think it might be. And there was a point in the book which I quite enjoyed that if you're good, you're allowed those kind of idiosyncrasies and people probably won't even bat an eyelid or, or, or even notice if they do at all. 
We certainly shouldn't be afraid of the inconvenience of change because the benefits of it are so much greater than the way we are working at the moment. You know it's not working. I know it's not working. We all know it's not working. But why are we so resistant to even trying something a little bit different? And fundamentally, the locus of control is likely a lot closer to you than you think it might be. I know when I have sometimes these conversations with teams or people that I'm working with, you hear all the same things. Oh, no, we can't do that. That The clients would hate it or all these kinds of things. But without actually any evidence that 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 is the case. But sometimes it's just the fear of having a conversation or doing something differently that stops people or maybe even stops you trying to do something different. And it's these imaginary barriers that get in our way. But it's these processes, these systems, these ways of working that are going to make the biggest difference. So that's big idea number three, focus on the process. There we go. Three big ideas from the book, A World Without Email by Cal Newport. Big idea number one, the hyperactive hive mind. Big idea number two, attention capital. And big idea number three, focus on the process. I like the ideas in this book. There's some really good ideas in here. Look, I'm going to say there's there's not loads of ideas in here that you probably haven't already heard before, like setting time to setting specific times to check your emails or using Trello boards or Asana boards instead of just being in your emails all day or having stand-up meetings. The ideas weren't especially groundbreaking if you've read any of these types of things or this kind of information before or thought about this before. Now, the hard thing is obviously doing it, but that's another issue altogether. The book, though, I'd say it it felt like it was what was left on the cutting room floor after deep work and digital minimalism. And probably 75% of the book, maybe even more actually, was the, the history of email, why it's bad, how we got here, lots of reference to Peter Drucker's work. And I, it was interesting. I found out some new things. I learned some stuff. Was it as practical and useful as I would have wanted it to be? Maybe not, because even the case studies in there that were were really, you know, they were interesting. They weren't as they weren't as user friendly as I think a lot of people might want or need them to be when picking up this book and desperately wanting a different way to work or to do things differently. So that was my criticism. I gave it two stars. I'll be doing a full review in next week's bookmark. So do sign up for that if you are interested, where I'll be giving more information on what I liked and what I didn't like. But I would probably listen out for a couple of the podcasts that he's been doing recently. You'll probably get most of the information along obviously with this episode than you would by reading the book and probably slightly less painfully in my very honest opinion. All right, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining me. If you have read the book, I'd love to hear what you thought. Maybe you loved it. Please do let me know. You can contact me on LinkedIn or on Instagram. Contact details as usual are in the show notes. But otherwise, until next time, happy reading.